Hey everybody, this is Charlie Keys again with First Methodist Amarillo Campus, and I am so glad to be joining you here for our online campus at First Methodist Church. Today we're going to be continuing in our series we're calling Streets of Gold, and today is going to be week three. Before we get started, I just want to remind you, number one, please bring your Bible. I think it's so important for us as followers of Jesus to understand how to use this book, how to turn to different chapters, how to find the verse, how to to look into it and try to interpret what it's saying, what it's asking us to do. And so my hope is, is that as we study God's word together here on our online campus, that you grow in those abilities. And you can't grow in those abilities if you don't have your Bible with you. So make sure you bring your Bible each week uh, as you join us online. Along with that, we do truly believe that this is an online campus. We want to know who you are. We want to know that you're worshiping with us. So if you're watching, it doesn't matter if it's on a Sunday, a Thursday night, a Tuesday morning, we want to know. So as you're watching this video, if you would just do us the favor of just posting the comments, hello, uh, watching online, or if, you, if something was particularly impactful for you, or if you have a question post that as well. We want to connect with you. We want to know that you're a part of this online campus. Okay, well with that, let's get into today's sermon. In today's sermon, we're going to be looking in two different chapters. We're going to be spending some time in John chapter 13 and John chapter 14. But our main text for today is found in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. It says this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may also be. Well, hello again, church. I am so glad that you're here in our online campus and you're joining us for week three of our sermon series, Streets of Gold. This series, is, is, if you've watched any of the others, you know that it is focused on developing a kingdom mindset when it comes to money, possessions, and finances. As a church, as a, as a, as a body of believers, both Canon, Amarillo, and online, we are unapologetically committed to discussing financial matters because the truth is our view on personal finances impacts our manner of personal living. Let me say that again. Our view on personal finances impacts our manner of personal living. Jesus warned us of this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. He said this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume and where thieves can break in and steal, but instead store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust can consume or where thieves cannot break in and steal. Listen to this part. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The hope and prayer of our pastoral team is that we will grow as a church to understand that richness is more than wealth. Our goal is that our lives, our lives pursuit, and your life's pursuit would transition from being rich in this life and move towards pursuing being rich in God. Richness in God is only possible because of the overwhelming grace and generosity of our Creator. But I have some questions. What does God's generosity look like? How has God gifted us? I think for many of us, our first response would be the cross. 
the cross. We would point out that Christ generously came to this earth. He lived as 100% God and 100% man for roughly 33 years. And then he died on the cross for our sins. He was then resurrected by the power of God, and that resurrection offers hope to all of us, to all of us who place our trust in Christ. Well, my response to that answer is you are absolutely correct. The life of Christ, his death on the cross, and his resurrection are beautiful examples of God's generosity, God's love, and God's grace. God generously paid the penalty for our sins so that we would be forgiven and that so that we could become new creations in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17 emphasize this. It says in verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we no longer know him that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Look, new things have come into being. But my question for us today is, what does our Heavenly Father's generosity look like after the cross? How do we experience God's goodness after we become new creations? As Christians, what is it we can look forward to in eternity? What are we looking towards? What are we hoping towards? These are similar questions that I think the disciples might have had when Jesus talked with them about his leaving in John chapter 13. Now I want you to use your imagination. Imagine with me that you were one of Jesus' disciples in that moment. You have been walking with Jesus for possibly years. You have witnessed him perform miracles, confront false leaders, compassionately embrace the untouchables of society. You have realized that walking with Jesus has changed who you are and has changed how you live as well. You also secretly are, are nurturing this hope that Jesus will soon take over and change everything you think is wrong with the world. Then Jesus says to you and your fellow disciples, little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so I now say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's John chapter 13, verses 13 through 34. Well, I have to say, I find the context of these verses so beautiful. Jesus had just told his disciples a few verses earlier that one of them would betray him. He's also trying to prepare them for his departure, which he knows and he's trying to communicate this to his disciples, will include a gruesome crucifixion. In the context of all that, he's still trying to teach them. He sets the standard for them of how they should act, not only in his presence, but especially in his absence. The standard for their behavior, according to Jesus, is love. Not just any kind of love, not the kind of love that our world promotes. They are to love one another in the same way that Jesus has loved them. That means they are to support one another, be there for one another, but also correct one another when they are wrong, just like Jesus did 
when he walked with them. Well, after that, Simon Peter, who was, who was never afraid to be the first person to talk, says, Lord, where are you going? This is verse 36. Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, you will lay down your life for me. Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. Imagine the heartbreak you would feel as a disciple, the discouragement that would well up inside you when you heard these words. Your leader, the one who changed your life, is going away to a place you can't immediately follow. Imagine the fear, the fear that would have welled up inside of you if, if Peter, who was one of the closest to Jesus, could deny Christ three times during such a critical moment, would you be able to withstand the pressure? Well, I think Jesus sensed the, in this moment the emotions of his disciples. Jesus is aware of the pain and discouragement and the fear his words would have produced in the group of men he's walked with and loved for these past three years. Therefore, he responds by saying, John chapter 14, verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may also be. These words of Jesus were meant to encourage his disciples. That is why I believe they are often used as a source of encouragement for us today as well. How many of you who are watching online, how many of you have heard this verse read at a funeral? Unfortunately, the, the manner in which we interpret this verse often robs it of its true power and its true meaning. As a pastor, I have been to a lot of funerals over the past 20 years. In my experience, nine times out of 10, when this scripture is read, it is explained something like this. The person we've gathered here to remember was a faithful follower of Christ. And because of that, they've got a mansion waiting for them in glory. When they cross over into eternity, they will see a beautiful palace that Jesus has been building just for them. Now, when pastors or speakers say this at funerals, they are well-meaning. I know I've said something very similar to this at funerals that I've led in the past. We are trying and saying these things to comfort the loved ones of the person who has passed on into eternity. But unfortunately, viewing Jesus's words from a mansion mindset robs it of its meaning and robs it of its significance. To truly understand Jesus's words, we have to dismantle that mansion mindset. Think about mansions that you've, you've seen. What surrounds them? Well, nothing, right? Let me give you a few examples. I've got some pictures that we'll put up on the screen, just a few examples of what mansions look like. Here's a picture of Will Smith's mansion. Or how about country music star Kenny Chesney's mansion? By far, this last picture is my favorite. Here's the, here's the mansion of basketball superstar Dwayne Wade. 
Now look at those. Mansions are typically surrounded by nothing but a bunch of land or water in the case of Dwayne Wade. A mansion mindset assumes seclusion. If you have a mansion, that means for the most part, it's just you. It's you and your immediate family and all of you together with your stuff in one place. Everything at your financial compound is designed and built for you and your immediate family to enjoy. The fancy gate keeps everyone else out. That's the mansion mindset that we have to dismantle. That does not, in my opinion, sound like a heavenly perspective. That is not the picture that Jesus was trying to encourage his disciples with. Because think about this, a, a promise of riches and seclusion would not have stirred up hope in the disciples in this moment where they were told that one of, one of their fellow disciples was going to betray the leader that they loved. And then after that betrayal, that leader would go away to a place that they could not immediately follow. But before we move forward, I want to stop and say how much I appreciate leader and teacher Sandra Richter and her wonderful teaching in her book, Epic of Eden. Much of what I'm about to share with you was influenced by her insights. Epic of Eden truly changed the way I viewed and interpreted Jesus' words in John 14. When Jesus said, in my Father's house, there are many dwelling places, there would not have been a picture of a mansion in the minds of the disciples. What they would have thought of when they heard my Father's household is this. This is a, a picture of a familial compound in Israel or a, or a betab, a father's household. See, it's important for us to understand that at this time in history, Israel was a patriarchal society. In this culture, Israelite families did not seclude themselves from one another. Everyone did not have their own individual home in the suburbs. They would not have been able to survive with that kind of mindset. Instead, everyone came together. Everyone came together under one roof, under the roof of the familial patriarch. In the father's household, they would have lived together and they would have shared everything with one another. The familial compound would have been made up of both immediate and extended family and reigns in size anywhere between 15 and 30 people. The patriarch, the leader, or if you want to say that the father of the father's household, would take on the responsibility of ensuring that everyone under his roof was safe, cared for, and had what they needed to survive. Everyone would also follow the leadership of the father in the familial compound. This is the picture that Jesus was painting. When Jesus uh, saw that his disciples were in a panic and could not see how they would survive without Jesus's physical presence, this is what he promised them. He promised that each of them would be welcomed and incorporated into their heavenly father's household. They would be known, cared for, and their needs would be met. Jesus encourages, his, Jesus encourages his disciples not by offering them a mansion, but by promising them a place where they would belong. 
That is the promise that should bring hope to you and to me. Jesus does not intend to seclude us with our own stuff in heaven and our own mansion. His goal is to draw all of us into his heavenly father's household. Under the roof of our heavenly father, Jesus will share his inheritance with us. Listen to these words found in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready, be, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you've had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that though perishable is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, the heavenly streets of gold, church, the heavenly streets of gold don't lead to a financial blessing. They lead to familial belonging. Let me say that again. The heavenly streets of gold don't lead to financial blessing. They lead to familial belonging. We can begin to practice that kind of mindset now. To do so again, we must dismantle the mansion mindset. We have to stop thinking it's us four and no more. We have to stop building bigger gates and start building bigger tables. Our lives should reflect an understanding that all we have is a gift from God. And yes, it is meant to be enjoyed, but it is also meant to be shared. Our lives should be built on sharing, not selfishness. So for our next step, I want to invite you to consider this question. If Jesus is inviting us to be a part of the Father's household, where we will be known and belong and share in his eternal inheritance. How will you, how will I share our earthly blessings with those around us now? Now, as we wrap up, I want to give you a couple of suggestions. These are very practical, but I think these are important first steps in dismantling the mansion mindset and living into the kind of generosity that Jesus set an example for us. Suggestion number one. Invite someone to coffee or lunch with no agenda other than enjoying their company. Or suggestion number two, host a game night in your home. Or number three, introduce yourself to your neighbors. Or number four, as a grow group or family, and adopt an angel off the angel tree. These angel trees provide Christmas gifts for families in need. And lastly, number five, Prayerfully consider how you will respond to God's generosity by committing a next step through our church's generosity response cards. Because those are important. We will be turning those in next week.
Well, overall, church, I want to thank you for tuning in. I want to thank you for striving to understand God's generosity, understand all that God has blessed us with. And my prayer for you today is that you will go out the remainder of this week and live a life that communicates sharing, not selfishness. May God bless you and may you shine for Christ this week. Amen.